Ladies and gentlemen, today is Tuesday, November 8th, 2022. We are just about halfway through the NFL season. Some exciting stuff going on. My name is Coley Rudd. I am from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, but currently reside in Clemson, South Carolina. I will try not to be biased, but I can't promise that my fandom won't come out. I am a huge Philadelphia sports fan. I love Penn State, love all of that Pennsylvania sports, except on the west side of the state. Not a Pittsburgh fan, never will be. This is the first ever uh, broadcasted episode of One of the Boys. I actually recorded an episode last week just to get my feet wet, but this will be the first one that is published for all you listeners to hear, if there are any of you out there. There's nothing really all that interesting about me. I just felt like I had such a passion for sports and had so much knowledge and interest in sports that I felt like an absolute dirtball not actually doing anything with it. So I've made the decision to generate all that knowledge into a podcast. Whether it becomes a hobby or if people actually start to listen to me, either way, I don't really give a fuck. It's just something for me to do with my time so that I, again, I don't feel like a dirtball who has all this knowledge and nothing to actually do anything with. This is one of the boys' podcasts. They say Saturdays are for the boys, but I am one of the boys, and I don't mean my body parts. I can talk sports with just about the best of them. I can counter any argument that you make or agree with any argument with you that you make with factual evidence. I know the game of football really well. I know baseball really well. Basketball, hockey, probably not my strong suits, but I will learn, and I promise I will give you great content on those as well. Episode one, officially, but unofficially episode two, because like I said, I did record last week. Today we will uh, be discussing last weekend in the NFL We will be doing our first ever Hungry Dog Underdog of the Week. This stems from the Philadelphia Eagles 2017 Super Bowl run of the underdog. So I like to talk about the underdog, Hungry Dog. An underdog is a hungry dog. So I will be giving you who I think my underdog, Hungry Dog of the Week is. Then we will get into Sad Girl Hours. Sad Girl Hours is just a, a space for me to feel the pain of a specific fan base, depending on what went on during the week. We'll do a college football recap. There was a lot that went on there. College football playoff is definitely going to be shaken up a little bit. We'll talk through the sad World Series recap. That might be a lot of my sad girl hours this week. Hint, hint. And then we will close out the day with our fantasy studs going into week 10. Hard to believe we are already at week 10 in the NFL season. Before we get into our intro here, do want to go over on this day in sports. And when I say on this day, I am recording on Monday, November 7th. So that is the date that I am talking about. But on this day in sports in 1943, the Lions and the Giants both ended in a tie. Both ended in two large goose eggs. That was the last scoreless tie in NFL history. Again, that was on this day in 1943. Also on this day in 1991, Magic Johnson, Johnson excuse me, announces that he has HIV and retires from the NBA. He was a Laker at the time. And also, kind of an untraditional sports fact here, in 2017, South Korean golfer, uh, forgive me for the pronouncement here, but Parker, Park Sung Hyun becomes the first LPGA rookie to be ranked number one in the world. So, shout out to ladies, shout out to ladies golf. Again, we are all one of the boys, and I don't mean our body parts. I'm glad you guys are here to listen to our first official, official episode, second unofficial episode. 
Everybody strap in, and as they say in Broncos country, let's ride. Saturdays are for the boys, but I'm one of the boys. An underdog is a underdog. Man, fuck them Astros. Welcome to Dun 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 Sad Girl Hours. Something must be in the water because the college football player was flipped upside down on his head this week. Suck that tiger dick, bitch. If I don't eat breakfast, I'm fucking pissed off. That's right, ladies and gentlemen, we are going to kick off today's episode with our first ever underdog, Hungry Dog of the Week. There were quite a few underdog victories that came came out on top this week. Honestly, my favorite part of sports, which is why this is going to be a highlighted feature on each of these podcasts moving forward. We will mostly talk through NFL and uh, college football. There were some upsets, underdog upsets in the NBA and NHL as well. As of last Friday, which was the Fourth, I believe. Yes, the fourth of November. Um, we were looking at one, two, three, four. There were six upsets in the NBA. Uh, underdogs won. The underdogs that won were the Lakers, the Cavaliers, the Bulls, the Hawks, the Wizards, the Jazz. Again, the NBA season is still kind of early, so every game has meaning, but not as much meaning as some of these under, other underdog victories that we're going to talk about in just a little bit here. There were also six underdog upsets in the NHL. The Sabres, Bruins, Coyotes, Ducks, Kraken, Kings were also underdog hungry dogs this week. However, not my favorite underdog hungry dog of the week. I will get into what that is going to be in just a second here. Moving over to the NFL, again, this is before Monday Night Football, so that will not be taken into consideration here, but there were quite a few thrilling upsets in the NFL um, yesterday. The first one we're going to talk about is the Lions over the Packers. So the final spread going into that game was the Packers by four. They were four-point favorites there, and the Lions, they're not back, but the Packers, they're toast. They are absolute toast. Aaron Rodgers should have retired, shouldn't have signed another contract. I know he only has one Super Bowl in his career, but I, I I would be willing to put a lot of money on the fact that he will never win a Super Bowl again. Don't know who decided who was drafting which players. They did not get him any any receivers whatsoever. Christian Watkins, maybe. Romeo Dobbs, maybe. But there is really no one standing, standing out to kind of fill those very large shoes of Devontae Adams. Rodgers, to me, isn't really like a Brady because – Brady is very capable of making something from nothing, meaning he doesn't necessarily need to have a stud receiver, but is capable of sharing the ball to mediocre receivers, we'll say, and still having success. Rodgers clearly hasn't proven to do that. Um, I don't have the exact numbers on his career as to what his stats have looked like without that stud receiver, but he has had quite a few over his career that maybe they're the ones that are really the heroes here because Rodgers surely don't look like he's it. Rodgers line over the, in the game over the Packers. Uh, he was 23 for 43, 291 yards, one touchdown, three interceptions, and his qu- quarterback rating. I can't believe I'm – I feel like I might have written this wrong because this looks really fucking wrong, but his quarterback rating was a 25. Um, he was also the Packers' leading rusher, which is unique because he's not really known to be a Russian quarterback. Other than that, there was not really any Packers players that stood out. 
Uh, Aaron Rodgers is toast. I don't know if it's actually him that's toast or just the personnel around him. I don't know what's going on there. What a shitstorm. Sorry, Green Bay. I don't, I mean, moldy, rotten cheese heads. That's, that's really unfortunate. On the flip side of things, you had Jared Goff, who was 14 for 26, 137 yards, two touchdowns and an interception. He was okay. Jamal Williams appears to be their leading rushing, rush, excuse me, leading back there. Devon, uh, DeAndre Swift was back, but really only had about four touches. Jamal Williams was 24 touches for 81 yards, did not have any touchdowns. The biggest story here, I think, is Rodgers' turnovers. Again, I don't know if it's because he doesn't have anybody to throw it to or he's having a hard time trusting these guys to throw to. This was only the fifth time in Aaron Rodgers' career that he had three interceptions, Um, and it was the first time he has done that since 2017. Rodgers, maybe you should go do your Alawasca and retire from the NFL not sure if this is it, bud. Uh, this is just this has been a rough season to watch. I feel really bad for Packers fans. I've never been an Aaron Rodgers hater per se. I think a lot of people hate on him for really kind of silly and petty reasons. But when you look at his football play this year, it just ha- it just hasn't been it. I'm sure Vikings, Bears, Lions fans have got to be just like taking this in, soaking this in. The Packers have lost five in a row. Very strange, very strange season. I wish I could say I feel bad for Aaron Rodgers, but, like, I don't. Like, you're still making millions of dollars a year to absolutely suck. Um, you'll still go into the Hall of Fame. You're just you're just having a shit year. It is what it is, but I would trade the year that you're having for the year that most other Americans are having probably because you still have tons of money and you're still Aaron Rodgers. So, um, you know, way to go, Lions. Their defense, I don't know if their defense just looked better yesterday or if the offense or if the Packers' offense is really just that bad. Either way, if you're the Minnesota Vikings, you're probably feeling pretty good because it just it looks like this division is going to be a, a cakewalk for you. So, Rodgers is toast, really burnt toast, the kind of toast that's so burnt you can't even hardly spread butter on. Maybe it's time to just just wrap it up and, and press on to next year. He does have one more guaranteed year on his contract, and then I believe there's a third-year option or something along those lines. I know next year is guaranteed, and the third year was not. So I, I don't know all the details of the contract. To be completely honest, sometimes the contracts, contracts confuse the shit out of me, so I wouldn't even try and diagnose that. Anyway, I just know that next year is fully guaranteed. Maybe they'll draft some receivers this year. I don't know. Maybe they'll trade for some receivers before the trade deadline. The fact that Brandon Cooks isn't a Packer right now is a little bit goofy. I don't know all the negotiations that were being had there, but the fact that the Packers didn't trade for any receivers in the offseason, lost their best receiver, just didn't resign him, didn't draft really any stud receivers. I don't even know who their draft picks were. I'm sure they have somebody that maybe is producing, but it seems to me like if you let your number one receiver overall who – Devontae Adams is a, a obviously if you watch football, you know he's a fucking outstanding receiver. If you let him walk and don't sign him to a big contract, it only makes sense to draft a, a good receiver. Um, so don't know what happened there. Firestorm, dumpster storm, melted cheese, rotten cheese, moldy cheese. Sorry, cheese heads. That's unfortunate. Anyway, enough about that because I could sit here and talk about how upsetting I guess that is for Packers fans for a long time but we're gonna move on to the Seahawks over the Cardinals I think the Cardinals suck I actually picked the Cardinals to win this or no excuse me I picked the Seahawks to win this Cardinals were two-point favorites which I thought was weird because they're not good I think people are truly underestimating Pete Carroll and Geno Smith I don't know if it's Geno Smith as much as it is Pete Carroll Russ 
was he the problem in Seattle? Maybe. I don't know. That could be something that we talk about for a whole episode, and I'm not here to do that. I'm here to identify a good underdog, hungry dog, and Seahawks are definitely in contention here. Gino was 26-34, 275 yards, two touchdowns, and an interception. Kenneth Walker, the third. What a story. He has been phenomenal. 26 carries, 109 yards, and two touchdowns. Bet if you had him in fantasy, you were feasting, having such a good day. Thanksgiving came a little bit early. Maybe it'll come next week and the week after that for you as well. Cliff Kingsbury... He's not that good. He started off, I think, what, they were 8-0 maybe, something like that, 8-1, I'm not really sure, uh, through the first half of the season last year. But if you actually look at his lifetime record as a coach of the Cardinals, he is 27-30-1. So I'm not sure why people like still think the Cardinals are good. They were good for the first half of last season, but other than that, they're, they're not good. Kyler Murray... If you know sports, if you know football, if you know Kyler, you know he plays way too much fucking Call of Duty. And you know what happened? On October 28th, 2022, so a week and some change ago, I don't know anything about Call of Duty, so if anyone wants to comment, uh, write me on Twitter, write me on social media and correct this, please do. But apparently, Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2 was released on October 28th. That was awful timing. Clearly, the creators of COD did not have the Arizona Cardinals in mind because Kyler, his focus at this point in the season, halfway point of the season, is now going to be on COD instead of football. Since that, since Modern Warfare 2 was released, the Cardinals are 0-2, so they've only played two games. His stat line actually hasn't been great. He's been 56, 56 of 79, 501 yards, five touchdowns, two interceptions, nine sacks, and a quarterback rating of 98.1. But he's not winning games. So I don't give a shit how good your stats are. If you're not winning games for your team, you're not good. Five touchdowns over two games wasn't enough. Clearly you needed more like eight touchdowns. Stop playing COD. Stop watching game film. I think that whole thing that came out over the offseason where in the contract it stated how many hours a week he had to watch film and then they came back and retracted that. I don't understand why they retracted that. Keep that in there. Who gives a fuck if he's embarrassed? He's a quarterback in the NFL who you literally signed to a mega million dollar contract to win you football games. And he's not winning you football games because he's spending too much time playing video games. I don't, I don't give a shit if he's embarrassed. He should be embarrassed. If you were paying me millions of dollars to do something, I would do it. I would, I would absolutely do it. I would burn my Xbox or his PlayStation. I don't even know what system he has. But... D- Clearly, if it was something that the organization wrote in the contract, it's it's an, it's not just this issue that we flaunt on social media and make fun of him for. Like, it's a problem. Don't retract it because this idiot's embarrassed. He's a grown-ass man making a fuck ton of money. And you, as the owner of this organization, who's paying him a fuck ton of money, should be allowed to say that he needs to watch XYZ amount of hours of game film a week instead of playing video games. Now, the wording in that obviously wasn't instead of playing video games, but to put that that hour, that number of hours per week on how much time he should spend watching game film is not unreasonable to me. He cried like a little bitch. Maybe he is a little bitch. Maybe his size identifies his level of bitchness. That's honestly how I feel right now. I don't have anything against the Cardinals. I actually love Zach Ertz. I feel bad that he's playing with a quarterback that isn't that good. Maybe he feels differently. And Zach, if you do, great. Zach's not a guy that's ever going to come out and say that, though. He's always going to have his quarterbacks back because that's just who he is. Love that dude. Um, But Call of Duty, this is on you. You should have waited. Why couldn't you wait? Who cares about selling games and making money? 
you should have had the Arizona Cardinals in your mind. Not that I personally care, but I'm sure their fan base does. Anywho, uh, Cardinals dead. I think their season's toast. Um, D-Hop is back, but having somewhat of an impact, maybe, but they're still 0-2 even though they have him. So maybe he has a cod issue too. I don't know. Anyway, Seahawks. Seahawks are it. Seahawks, I do predict, will win that division. Pete Carroll, coach of the year. Too soon to say that? Maybe. I don't see anyone else right now who's in contention except maybe Nick Sirianni because it's only his second year and he's 8-0. My, my, my vote is with Pete Carroll. Does NFL do comeback player of the year? I don't even know if they do, but if comeback player of the year is award in the NFL – it should, without a doubt, in anybody's mind. I don't even know why you're voting on it, but it should definitely go to Geno Smith. Such a cool story. Really cool stuff. Anyway, they are in contention for Hungry Dog, Underdog of the Week. Uh, Jaguars over the Raiders. Raiders were two-and-a-half-point favorites. Raiders are, like Aaron Rodgers, just burnt toast. You thought they might be okay. That division looks like it's going to be super competitive, but they're toast. Derek Carr has just not been very good. His line in this game wasn't, I guess, terrible. He was 21 of 36, threw for 259 yards, two touchdowns, no interceptions, a 59.5 QBR. I think the issue with him is that he's just so damn predictable. Devontae Adams played great yesterday, um, had 10 receptions, 146 yards, two touchdowns, 17 targets, and when you go back and look – 47% of the time that Derek Carr threw the ball, he threw it to Devontae Adams. So obviously they had some success yesterday. You know, Adams put up the numbers that he did, scored the points that he did. But if you're an opposing defense, you're looking at these numbers and you're thinking, okay, there is a 50-50 chance that if Derek Carr goes back to pass the ball that he's going to throw it to Devontae Adams. So obviously you're going to put your best guy on him and – if he's not throwing to him, his other receivers really haven't been able to do much. Matt Collins had that one big game where he went off. Hunter Renfro, has he been hurt? Maybe maybe that's stupid of me because just, I'm just being naive and didn't know if he was hurt. I have not heard his name hardly called at all. He has been a non-factor. So Darren Waller has stayed hurt, like washed, you should be done, bud, or, or just kind of fall into the more traditional tight end role where you're, you're not a big play guy anymore. Hasn't been the player that he was for quite some time. I would say like the middle of last season is really when he started to kind of crumble and fall off the face of the earth. Now he can't shake these injuries. I don't have exact numbers on this in front of me, but I think it's safe to say he has played significantly less than 50% of the offensive snaps. So I guess that doesn't really give Carr much elsewhere to go to. So to me, that's like a, hey, hey, coach. I don't even know the Raiders coach off the top of my head at the moment. But, like, you need to construct something a little bit different for this offense. And that's how good teams succeed is when you have a team like the New England Patriots when Tom Brady was throwing to, throwing to like, receivers who didn't even know. The one guy was – at one, one point, the one guy was, like, an ex-cross player from Penn State who never played college football, and he's catching multiple passes and touchdowns in very important games – that was all coaching. That was because they created plays to make players that you wouldn't normally think of succeed and mold the offense to what they had instead of trying to make these people be something that they are not. So coaching is just really poor in Vegas. Uh, something needs to change. I, I don't know. As I was sitting here recording this today, Frank, Frank Gregg was hired. Not hired. He was fired, as he should have been. And maybe in Vegas they need to do the same thing. Either way, it hasn't been pretty there. It hasn't been good. I guess the good thing is that Vegas has like kind of a fake fan base 
where they literally moved to Vegas so that teams could travel there and go to games and bring money into the city instead of having an actual fan base. Um, so I don't know. Does anyone really care if the Raiders aren't good? I guess that's really the ultimate question. The owner is truly just probably trying to make money off of the city of Vegas and fan bases like Philadelphia who would spend stupid amounts of money to go to Vegas to watch their team play. So whatever. It's unfortunate, I guess, if you play there. That can't be a very exciting city to play for because every single time uh, the opposing team has louder fans in your home stadium, that has to suck. On the flip side, Trevor Lawrence was 25 of 31, 235 yards, one touchdown, no interceptions, 84.4 QBR, playing a little bit more like veteran-style football than Derek Carr was. Uh, Travis Etienne looks like he's he's it. Um you know, unfortunately, the lifespan of running backs isn't quite what it used to be, so he's not going to be it for a while. Unfortunately, running backs traditionally just aren't anymore. But looks like for the next few years, he's going to be their guy in Jacksonville. 28 attempts, 109 yards, and two touchdowns. If you look at the amount of receivers that Trevor Lawrence threw to, he threw to nine different receivers. Um or I should say nine receivers had catches. I don't know how many different ones he threw to, but there was nine players on the field for the Jaguars that each caught passes, and there was only six for the Raiders. And of those six, I mean, Devontae Adams, like I said, was targeted 50% of the snaps that Derek Carr dropped back to throw to. So something needs to change. Ultimately, the Raiders suck. Not what I anticipated, not what I had expected, but, but here we are. So ownership on you, management on you, make a move, make something different. Again, unless you're just really not that concerned, then then don't. I don't know. I don't run your team. The next uh, and final upset, I mean, this is before Monday night. Again, I'm recording. It's now Monday afternoon, so I don't know what the Monday night game is going to entail. But Josh Allen and the Bills were 10.5-point favorites over the Jets, and they lost. I kind of had a feeling this could be a trap game for the Bills. The Jets' defense has looked pretty good. Josh Allen was a little bit off last week. It happens. Every big quarterback has their good games, has their bad games. I guess in a season like this where there's been such high expectations and Josh Allen has played so well, you didn't anticipate it two weeks in a row. I mean, I think of Patrick Mahomes. It's very rare that he has two bad games in a row. But, hey, the greats – I mean, Aaron Rodgers has now had five bad games in a row. So, I guess it happens. I don't I don't know what was going on with him. I personally think Josh Allen is awesome. I think he's so much fun to watch. But it was a little tough to watch him yesterday. He threw the ball 34 times and only completed 18 of those passes, which is super lopsided. It's just a little bit over 50%, which for Josh Allen is very low. He threw for 205 yards. He didn't have any touchdowns. He threw two interceptions and had a 64.3 QBR. He did rush the ball nine times for 86 yards and two touchdowns. So if you have him fantasy football, which I do, he definitely made up for it in that area. But he had been putting up stupid good numbers pretty much every week until last week. And it feels weird that that's the case because these are the first two games coming off the bye. So I don't know if the bye maybe like slowed down his momentum a little bit. Really not sure what happened. Again, all these quarterbacks are human beings, so they're not going to be perfect all the time. I guess I was just a little bit thrown off by Josh Allen having like two, I don't want to say bad weeks because they weren't completely bad. But for Josh Allen, the way he had been playing, they were not as good as they were. On the flip side of things, Zach Wilson, I don't think he's that good. I think his coaches are finally starting to tell him and draw up plays for him that work to his, I don't know if it's his skill set. Yeah, I guess it is his skill set, like his capabilities. He's not, 
a game manager. He's not really that big play guy. And sometimes he makes really poor throws. And when he throws the ball deep, I don't know if he's, like, actually trying to complete the pass or just show off how far he can throw. So I think they finally are starting to mold their offense around, like, okay, like, here's realistically what this guy can do. He isn't going to be a Tom Brady. But we could still succeed with him. And I think that's a little bit of what we saw this weekend. He was 18 for 25. If I could speak, that would be great. He was 18 for 25, 154 yards, one touchdown, no interception, 76.4 QBR. Not stellar, but, like, sometimes you don't have to be stellar to win. You just got to find a way to win. And that's what this line in this game says to me is that Zach Wilson did what they needed to do to win. And a win is a win. Who cares how you get it? Michael Carter rushing was 12, carries 76 yards and one touchdown. James Robinson was 13 carries for 48 yards. So it looks like they're kind of splitting those touches up 50-50. I did not look up the receiving stats for either of them. That would be interesting as well. But it looks like the touches are being split split up pretty evenly, which is seems to be an ongoing theme actually for a lot of teams unless you have a stud back like Derrick Henry. Uh, Josh Allen had to, did have those two like really unfortunate turnovers the one was in the red zone again super uncharacteristic for him red zone picks aren't traditionally what good quarterbacks do again every great quarterback has thrown one of those in his or her lifetime I don't know why I'm saying her there's never been a female quarterback in the NFL but traditionally at some point in their career good quarterbacks will throw end zone red zone picks that's just what had happened here my biggest issue with Josh Allen is the sauce Gardner pick To any of these quarterbacks, I know none of you will listen to me because I'm literally just some scumball who sits and watches and critiques everything that you do without having any experience of playing the game myself. But why the hell are you even throwing in his direction? You have... You have good talent on your offense like Stefan Diggs doesn't have to be the guy every time and he's not but but Gabe Davis is also really good too and Isaiah McKenzie yeah he's been off the last couple weeks but whatever Dawson Knox is a great tight end who can catch balls wherever sauce is if I'm a quarterback I'm not throwing to him I don't care how open your guy looks he's not he's not you know there's receivers out there that claim that they're always open and some of them are but if sauce Goddard is covering they're always covered I know he's a rookie and it's hard to speak about a rookie like this, but I just don't, he's, he's like a Jalen Ramsey or I don't know. There's Darius Slay. Like you just, you just don't throw in their direction because the ball is going to be picked. And he's not like an idiot, like a Trayvon Diggs who every time the ball's thrown his way, he's trying to pick it off. So you're either picked or you're burned on. Like if he can't pick the ball, he'll just bat the ball down from 10 feet out. He will dive across from 10 feet and bat the ball down. So your guy can't catch it. So stop throwing the to him. Stop throwing to him. It's just going to hurt. It's, you're not going to get the yards. You're not going to increase your completion percentage. And odds are it's just going to rattle you, get to your head, and it's just not worth it. So whoever's covering him, don't throw to him. Don't throw to him. Again, no one's going to listen to me, but that's just that's just my take. Take it as you will. So that wraps up our NFL underdog hunger dogs. That's I keep going off on these tangents, but I get really passionate about some of these things that I have listed here. And again, I know none of these coaches, GMs, anybody will ever listen to me. But sometimes I think if they did, they might be successful. But what do I know? Anyway, college football score. So we won't break these down quite in as much detail because I will do a segment on college football playoff in just a little bit here. Obviously, completely flipped down, flipped upside down on its head. Um, in the top 25, there were three pretty major upsets. The first one... 
if you watch college football, you knew this happened. Notre Dame over Clemson. Um, Notre Dame was only three and a half point favorites, and I think they won by a final score of 35 to 14. Um, I Blah, 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 blah. If I could speak, that would be cool. Um, LSU over Bama went to overtime, Was had a super exciting finish. It was at LSU in Death Valley, so obviously a super hard atmosphere to play in. But Bama, I mean, it's just, it's just traditional Bama where going into the game, they were 13.5-point favorites, even though the game was against another top-10 team in that top-10 team's home stadium. I think it's just a sign of respect or a statement on how good Bama actually is, or I guess at least Vegas thought they were, because they went down, blah, blah, blah. Sorry, Saban. LSU won, great game. Overtime, college football, top 10, SEC, in a loud stadium. That's traditionally rather exciting. So this was pretty fucking cool to see. If you're into college football and you're not an Alabama fan, you're happy with this outcome. I don't, I mean, even like other SEC teams who don't necessarily like LSU still are usually pretty happy when LSU or any other LS or any other SEC team for that matter beats Bama. So that was pretty cool. And then Michigan State over Illinois. Illinois was ranked, which I always thought was kind of weird because Illinois for a long time has not been consistent. But I guess this year they proved to the committee that they look decent. They were 16-point favorites over Michigan State. Michigan State just got stomped on a few weeks back over Michigan. So I guess they still had some anger. I think they might have had a bye last week. I don't know who they played last week, but they were 16-point underdogs and came in and won. That's pretty good. So the odds said they were going to lose by 16, and they beat that by, I think they won by 8. So beat the spread by 24 points. That is fantastic. You love to see it. You love a good upset, a good college football upset. I do think college football is the most unpredictable sport, but an under, an underdog is still always my favorite kind of win regardless of who it is um so after ranting off all of my underdogs of the different leagues this week the underdog hungry dog of the week is i don't have a drum roll insert drum roll here so Michigan State, statistically, number-wise, had the biggest upset, but it's got to be Alabama over LSU because Bama is Bama, and we don't like Alabama. So LSU is our underdog, hungry dog win of the week. Well done. Go Tigers. All right, moving right along here, we will get into the next segment of the day. Womp, womp, womp. Sad girl hours. It pains me. It really pains me, but my first ever sad girl hours is going to be about the Philadelphia Phillies. They started off this season looking like crap. Twenty-two and twenty-nine. Fire their head. Their, or fire their manager. Hire Rob Thompson as the interim. He flips the season around. Really, they sneak into the playoffs. At the time, we're just happy. That they get in, no expectations whatsoever, really. Get by the Cardinals on a sixth inning, top of or six run, top of the ninth inning. They get by the Braves, winning three out of five, four, yeah, three out of five games, three games in four. No, beating them in four games. 
And then the Padres in the NLCS win four games in five matchups. And we're going to the World Series before we know it. City of Philadelphia is electric. My mood, this is, so, this is how grossly invested I am in sports, is when that was happening, I was at an all-time high. Like, every day was a good fucking day because the night before, the Phillies had won. There was a couple, obviously, a couple times they didn't. And it was so exciting. Everyone on social media was just, like, so happy. Vibes were high. In the city, I wasn't even there because I don't live there anymore, but vibes were just at an all-time high. Wawa literally brought back, so for those of you that don't know what Wawa is, it's the best gas station ever. So yeah, it's a gas station. I don't even like think of it that anymore because they have food there. They make made to or made to go orders, stuff like that, snacks, bakery items, you name it. And Wawa does this thing called Hoagie Fest where they discount their hoagies for a little bit. They did that over the summer. And Kyle Schwarber, left fielder for the Phillies, leadoff batter, was was a, a dirty man and was just his, I don't know his exact stats while it was Hoagie Fest, but he was just tearing it up hitting dingers left and right, and just, like, killing it. Well, Wawa is so devoted to Philadelphia that some Barstool, I think it was the Barstool Philly account, pointed out, like, hey, Kyle Schwarber was a, a tank during Hoagie Fest. You should bring it back. And Schwarber had been in a slump literally until Wawa, a gas station, Wawa, that the city is just madly in love with, and Wawa's clearly madly in love with them back, brought back Hoagie Fest, but this time they called it Schwarber Fest, and as soon as that happened, Schwarber went on a freaking tear. I don't think he had any home runs in the postseason until Schwarber Fest started, and I believe he ended with, like, five or six. So, Wawa, we credit you uh, for Schwarber's success and for some of those awesome games and awesome hits that we all got to celebrate. So, Wawa, not only are you good for your hoagies, but you are also good for home runs, for dingers, for celebrations, and I love you. Unfortunately... We needed a Schwarber Fest. We needed a Hoskins Fest. We needed a Real Muto Fest. Harper Fest, we definitely didn't need because Bryce Harper was just, Bryce Harper probably had the best Phillies postseason performance ever. But we needed fests for just about every other player. And we didn't get that. So we make it to the World Series. Vibes are an all-time high. We're losing game one, five to nothing, and come back against Justin Verlander and win six to five. And at that point, I'm like, holy shit, like we're gonna fucking do this. I can't believe the city didn't blow up that night because that was essentially unheard of was to go down to that team five to nothing and then lose six to five. So we come back, we're up one, nothing. They tie the series. Then first game in Philly was just a home run derby. Phillies have five home runs, win seven, nothing. Look like they're absolutely unstoppable on fire. I remember after that game, I never do this because Sports are sports, and they're magical, and at any given moment, anything can happen. But I truly felt like after game three, like, holy shit, we're, we, we might actually do this. And then sad girl hours came. Phillies were no hit the next night after hitting five, run, five home runs. They lost the night after that. Really, I mean, had two beautiful opportunities just destroyed by great defensive plays. And also, Reese Hoskins gives up a run on a terrible misplay at first base. And hindsight, that ended up being the winning run, which sucked. Then they go to Houston for game six. And I was like, all right, you know, like, we're not out of this yet. Like, 
That's it. We just can't lose anymore. That was our last loss of the season. That's it. Let's go. Close it out. Whatever. We're up one nothing on Saturday night. Zach Wheeler's dealing. Gets himself in a little bit of pickle. Man on first and third. No, or excuse me, one out. Rob Thompson, you're still my boy. You're still my guy. You're still Philly Rob. I'm glad you're our manager and not interim anymore. But probably made the worst decision he's made all season, arguably. I'm sure there's some regular season ones. But a most meaningful decision he had made all season, he made the wrong one. He pulled Wheeler. I thought Wheeler was wheeling and dealing. And sometimes pitchers, when they get themselves into pickles like that, are really good at getting themselves out of it. So I thought, like, he should be given the opportunity, especially because up until then, no one had really been able to hit him. But unfortunately, he was not given that opportunity. Alvarado comes in, and Alvarado had been wishy-washy, was sent down in the minors at some point in the season. I think it was back in June. Came back, came back kind of a changed man. Like, came back and really dominated the rest of the year. But he didn't dominate on Saturday night. Comes in, first batter, boom, three-run home run. And at that point, my hopes, my dreams, my heart, my vibes, my mood, all of it just deflated. And I entered sad girl hours. And now here we are dwelling that the Houston Astros won the World Series and the Phillies did not. And that is that. It is dark. I am sad. And that is that. Sad girl hours will not always be about my fan base, though, but it just felt, it felt appropriate that the first sad girl hours ever should be something that I personally have gone through. Adds, adds a nice little flair of emotion to it. Some sad girl hours will be me making fun of other fan bases that I really don't like. Like when the Cowboys choke, that'll be a good one. I can't wait to do that one. Um, if I had started this podcast earlier in the year, definitely would have done one on the Mets because they just absolutely tanked. And that fan base is just sad, like forever. Forever sad girl hours for the, for the Mets. But it just seemed appropriate that I could relate it to, to this. Plus, I know there's so many of you out there, if you're, a Philly lo- if you're not a Philly lover, you're a Philly hater. So you'll probably enjoy hearing my heartbreak and whatever, fuck you too. But sad girl hours concluded. Enough about enough about my tears. We are going to move right along into actually like an official World Series recap. So I obviously gave it to you from the perspective of of my fan fandom from a Philadelphia fan. It was overall a really good World Series. Thinking back to game one, that was probably from the Philly standpoint, the best game. I know they had the seven dingers in game three, but that was – they rallied back in such incredible fashion. It was really cool. Anyone who's a baseball fan, regardless of what team you were rooting for, that was just a really fun game to watch. Justin Verlander, I know he had the one – he came back in game five and pitched pretty well, but he statistically is just a nightmare in the World Series, and he was still a nightmare in this game as well. The Phillies, what was it, at the end of the third inning, were down 5 nothing. Uh, Kyle Tucker had two home runs, and that was after Kyle Tucker had talked some shit, had said, oh, we want to take care of this early, four games, maybe five max, whatever, and comes in, hits two dingers, and you're like, shit. Like, Phillies are like, shit. Like, you, they, I wasn't feeling good. So the Astros were feeling good. And you felt a little deflated after that as a Philly fan. I'm sure Houston was on, on the edge of their feet. And then the Phillies just slowly but surely battled back, kind of how they did all season long. Before you knew it, it was a, it was a tie game. Houston hadn't scored again, and Houston wouldn't score again. And then it goes into extra innings. And I had thought watching that game, when it first was starting to head into extra innings, I was like, this is going to be a long night. Like, this is going to be like one of those 18, 19 inning games where I'm going to be exhausted the next day. I was starting to think about, like, 
do I work from home the first half of the day today and then go in a little bit later because I knew it was going to be up that late, call me a pussy, call me weak, whatever. I can't physically fall asleep while a World Series game that my team is playing in is still on. So I was just just trying to figure it out. Um, then JT Real Muto, Real Muto comes up to bat. I don't even remember what the pitch was. I couldn't even tell you who was pitching. But he hits that ball over that right field wall, Oppo Taco, and I was like, holy shit. Like, I woke up the dogs. I woke up my girlfriend. Like, everybody was up because I was just so excited. I wasn't even that loud. I think my energy was just, like, radiating through the whole house because I was that excited. I have a dog. This is totally off tangent, but my dog sits with me here while I record. And her name is Harper. Yes, after Bryce Harper. And she just went over to a lamp and started sniffing it. It's a standing lamp. And she started sniffing it. And as she was sniffing it, it started moving. And I thought she was going to chime in into our podcast and bark at the lamp. Because she was backing up, sticking her butt in the air, looking at it. But she didn't bark. So no commentary from Harper today. Sorry for the side note. But anyway, I think we also have to talk a little, talk a little bit about Aaron Nola. And I know I said I'm not going to be biased, whatever. Obviously, a lot of my perspective is coming from the Philadelphia fan. I do want to give the Astros credit where credit is due. But first, I just want to talk about Aaron Nola and how, as a Philadelphia fan, I'm definitely not your average Philadelphia fan. I'm definitely way above average. I am very in tune with, with everything that goes on. But he doesn't seem to me like a guy that's going to have a good connection with this Philadelphia fan base for a long time. Philadelphia wants someone that goes out there and plays well, tries hard, wants to win for, for the team, for the city. And I just don't get that from Aaron Nola. And even if you go out and you give it your all and you had a bad night or you did something stupid and you own it, Philadelphia will like you. If you look at Alec Bohm, Alec Bohm beginning of the season, he has one night where he makes like three hours, something like that. You could, If you they zoom in, you read his lips, he says, I fucking hate this place, right? People are booing him, whatever, whatever. He comes out that night and he says, yeah, like, yeah, I said that. Yeah, I'm sorry. I didn't mean it. Whatever. The next night, he comes out on the field. The stadium is roaring for him. Roaring for him. Because he was like, yeah, I was pissed off. I was human in the moment. And I said that, but I don't, I don't mean it. Like, I feel your frustration too. And I was pissed off in that moment. And that's just what we like. Be genuine. Don't be a pussy. Don't want to leave because it's too hard to play here. Like, even if you're having a hard time, that's fine. Just own it. Just own it. Don't get discouraged with us because we're on your side. We want you to succeed, right? But the second you turn on us, we're going to turn your back right on you. And I feel like Aaron Noel is heading down that path. He seems to me, and I could be wrong. I mean, this is just the vibes that I get from what I've seen from him and how he's performed. But he seems to me like one of those guys that's like, oh, I'm already at the top level. I'm already making millions of dollars to, to play baseball, you know, what, that's, his, that's, that's the ceiling. He might not want anymore. Like, he's already making a ton of money to, to play baseball. And he doesn't seem like a team guy to me. I don't get those vibes. Again, if anyone out there is listening and knows anything about Aaron Nola, I hope you can correct me and tell me I'm wrong. But I'm just telling you, that's just the vibe that I get. And I have a feeling that that's a lot of what the Philadelphia fan base feels. And I don't want to diss Aaron Nola because he's had his moments where he's been so good. Like, in the playoffs, like, there was, you know, with the exception of the World Series, there was maybe one other game where he wasn't that good. And otherwise, he was great. I think maybe the inconsistency is the issue. And also just not getting along with this fan base. Like, if that's the way you're going to be, you should go play somewhere where, where no one gives a fuck. Because in Philly, everyone gives 
way too many fucks. So that's just kind of the vibes I get there. He did not play well game one. Obviously, it didn't matter. Offense comes back, makes it a great game. And you think, like, wow, if the Phillies can win a game like that, like, they might be in it. Uh, game two was the Aaron – or not Aaron – Zach Wheeler game. Zach Wheeler, he's another guy. Like, he's on the mound. You usually predict he's going to do pretty good. And they were just super aggressive off the bat. I think he had thrown three pitches and there was no outs and there was already a run scored. Um, that was – that was that was I'll give the Astros credit there. They they just came out guns a blaze and knew what knew what they were looking for, probably sitting sitting on something that they knew exactly what was gonna come. First couple pitches and won that battle. Wheeler did all right for the rest of the game. Um offense was okay, got two runs there. I, I, the Phillies historically have always lost game two, so I just never have high expectations for game two. Their their bullpen was absolutely outstanding. What was that guy Abreu? I don't know his first name right now off the top of my head, but he every time he came in, I don't think we got a single hit off of him like the whole postseason. We maybe worked a walk. I could be wrong. Again, I did not do a lot of statistical research on this because it hurt my heart. I'm just kind of going off of vibes and memory. So whatever, call me illegitimate because I'm not giving you legit statistics, but that's why Google exists. So if you ever want to like verify any of these stats, just just go. But again. I'm not here to read you off statistics. I'm here to talk about how I felt, how how vibes were, what I saw, what I felt, whatever. Anyway, um, so yeah, that was that. Game three was the home run derby. It was really weird because they, I think it was the only postseason game with seven runs scored and not a single man stood on second base. Like there were a couple walks and then dingers that followed and they put up seven runs, but I don't think a single runner was in scoring position the whole game, which is really weird. Party in Philadelphia, I think... Uh, if you looked, uh, Penn State Brandywine had, I don't know what the fancy word for it is, but like one of those earthquake measure things that like tell you how much the ground is shaking when something happens. And their sensor literally went off after Bryce Harper hit that first home run. And then again, after Alec Bohm hit his home run a little bit later, like Philadelphia was was shaking, like the ground in the city was shaking, which is just wild and just speaks to to the fan base, which was, I thought that was really cool to see. Um, McCullers Jr., they say he was tipping pitches. I don't know if that was actually confirmed, but like enough out and out whoa, enough analysts were like, hey, here's what was happening, and then here's what the Phillies were doing and adjusting to. So like maybe it was. But then supposedly I saw an article, I didn't actually read the ins and ins and outs of it, but apparently Randy Johnson was doing that his whole career and like no one ever caught him because he was so good. So McCullers not Randy Johnson. That was still a fun game. Um, also though, like really lame that McCullers was kind of being dirty at the post game six celebration because like you didn't do anything in that series to contribute to your team's win. So I don't know. Fuck off. Um, game four, game four was the no hitter. That really sucked. That was when I remember like I felt so good going into that game because of the night before. And the no-hitter. I mean, you've got to give those guys credit, though. That pitcher. I cannot remember that pitcher's name. Look, I'm going to use Google right now to let you know who that was. Um, He was so good. He, I can't believe, like, to me, he was better than Verlander. And according to his statistics, he is better than Verlander, or was better than Verlander in in the postseason. And Verlander, you know, like I said, up until... Thursday night wasn't wasn't a great postseason or World Series pitcher at all. So I don't know why they kept going Verlander, but whatever. Christian Javier, he was so good. He was really good. I was afraid if it made it to a game seven that they were gonna put him in on on 
less rest just because he was that good. Uh, he's probably going to be something that's someone that's pretty dangerous the next couple years because I think he's still relatively young. Let's see if I can find his age real quick. See, I did not do my research on this beforehand because, again, sad girl hours, I really didn't want to. But let me see what I can find. Um, but he was so good, and then that, that Abreu guy comes in, and then their closer, Presley, I believe, is the one who closed it out. And there was another pitcher in there as well. I can't remember what his name was. But they they were good. Their Astros pitching, I got to give them a lot of credit for doing what they did. You know, I can hate on the Phillies all I want because they didn't hit, and actually they, they, they didn't. But I don't know if that's because the Phillies sucked or because the Astros pitching was really good. I'm just going to say the Astros pitching was really good. That makes my heart feel a little bit better. Um, here we go. Christian Javier is 25 years old, so he's still rel relatively young, probably has a lot of good years ahead of him. I don't know what his contract details are, but should probably cash in on a nice contract in the next couple of years if he keeps pitching that way. So that was game four. Game five, again, was a heartbreaker for the Phillies. Astros put Verlander out there, first batter of the game for the Phillies, and Schwarber hits a bomb. Who was pitching that game? Syndergaard. Syndergaard gave up around the first inning as well. So it was 1-1 one, one after 1. And I, at that point, when Schwar or when yeah, when Schwarber hits that home run, I think Verlander's going to choke again. Verlander did not choke. And then it was a close game the whole time. That was the big Reese Hoskins. He makes the error at first base. He's trying to throw the guy out at home, but picks his head up to throw the ball before he has it in his glove. And that was just typical Reese. Great base running by the Astros. I think that was when there was a, a moment when Brandon Marsh misplayed a ball and Altuve went from first to third. And he probably would have only made it to second if Brandon Marsh would have not juggled the ball. So that's unfortunate. Philly's defense was always uh, kind of a, an Achilles heel for, throughout the whole season. I was actually a little bit surprised it didn't impact them as much in the World Series. That was ultimately the game-winning run. Schwarber hits that, rip, ropes that ball down the first baseline, and Trey Mancini, I don't think he had a single hit in the World Series, or if he did, he had literally one. He was not batting well at all in the World Series. And he makes that incredible play at first base. Cementing himself in history. I mean, if he doesn't make that play, there's a really good chance that the Phillies tie it there, maybe take the lead. And then, of course, there's JT's hit to center field where the Philadelphia guy, Chas McCormick, catches it in the outfield. Catches an incredible wall off the outfield. Like, literally runs into the wall, falls falls backwards, but catches the ball. If not, JT, JT gets the ball or gets a hit, gets on second base easily, maybe even third, depending on which way that ball bounces off the wall. Chaz McCormick, again, saved prob probably a run. Again, there was no one on base at the time, so it's hard to say. You think that Harp with Harper coming up behind him, who knows? Either way, two defensive plays robbed us of some runs, which really stung. And then, of course, I'm not going to recap game six because I think I gave a pretty good synopsis of exactly what happened. Jordan Alvarez did Jordan Alvarez things, and he really wasn't doing anything between that first home run and that in game one against the Mariners of the playoffs and, and then until then. I mean, there wasn't really much he was doing until then, but he comes up with probably the biggest home run of his whole life. Kudos to him. He was sitting on something. He knew what to expect. I guess that's what happens when you face these pitchers in these series for a certain amount of times. They, they probably become a little bit predictable. Unfortunately, the Phillies couldn't really predict the Astros. So it is what it is. I'll give Houston some credit. Their pitching is absolutely outstanding. I don't think they win this if their pitching isn't as good as it is or if the Phillies' bats get a, stay as hot as they were in game three. The Phillies definitely win this. The Astros' bullpen was absolutely outstanding. Hardly, I, I mean, they gave up very few runs, if any. 
you know, the Phillies definitely weren't the best team in baseball this year. I mean, obviously they didn't win the World Series, but they weren't the best team in baseball. They sneak into the playoffs, get hot at the right time, make an absolutely magical run. You know, they were the hottest team in baseball at the time I got to the World Series playing. I think it was Jake Arrieta said it was the hottest team in baseball playing the best team in baseball. And it was, it was going to be a hell of a matchup. Regardless, you got to be happy if you're a Phillies fan. They handed the Houston Astros their only two losses of the postseason. The Mariners couldn't do it. The Yankees, who were supposed to be these all-godly Yankees, Aaron Judge, yada, yada, they couldn't do it. Reese Hoskins had more home runs off off of Astros pitching than Aaron Judge. So even though Reese Hoskins were all kind of down on him, like you still played better than Aaron Judge did. So W. Overall, feeling pretty good about, I mean, not good about losing the World Series if you're a Phillies fan like me. You feel good about this about the run that they made and hopeful that there will be more of those to come in, in future years. Congrats to the Astros. You guys were great. Jeremy Pena, absolutely insane that a rookie wins NL, DS MVP, and World Series MVP. I don't believe that's ever been done before. You obviously expect great things from him moving forward. I don't know why anybody wouldn't. Really cool story. If I'm not a sad Phillies fan, I think this is an, an outstanding accomplishment, but I am, so, like, fuck you, Jeremy Pena. Anyway, uh, cool story. Obviously, this kid's probably going to have a really great career ahead of him. The Astros, you know, there was definitely some controversial stuff. I'm trying not to go down this route, but I think the rest of America is already kind of down this route. There was Marinado using the illegal bat, which supposedly it's illegal for safety purposes and doesn't give the batter any advantage. Still bullshit that there was no consequences for that whatsoever. I think that's a little weird. And then if you watch the – whoever who was batting before? who Whoever got on base – before the Jordan Alvarez home run. I can't remember. I can't remember who it was, and I'm not looking it up. This was piss poor planning on this World Series segment, but it was intentional. Um, but he leans into the pitch. If you watch the replay, it does look like he's getting out of the way, but if you watch the replay of the first pitch to the second pitch, he's definitely standing way, way, way tighter into the plate on that pitch that he get hit on than any of the other pitches he faced the whole series. So it's kind of shady, shady business, whatever. Uh, America hates the Astros because of what they did in 2017. It kind of fucking sucks that they're back on top now because organizations that do that shouldn't be able to turn around and be that good after that. There was really very few consequences other than losing the managers that, like, started the cheating. Jose Altuve, like, you are the cheater. You had a fucking wire under your jersey, and y'all were banging trash cans. So, like, why are you even allowed in the league? Why wasn't there no suspension or anything? Shady business, whatever. Whatever. Anyway, I won't be that way anymore. I won't be salty and bitter. Congratulations, Houston. World Series champions. Philly faithful. Let's stay let's stay hopeful. I think I think the Phillies will be back and maybe and hopefully we'll win more than eighty seven wins next year. Make some good uh, off season acquisitions, get some more consistent pitching in our starting rotation, fluff up the bullpen a little bit, and and we'll be back. So World Series was great. Baseball playoffs are great. Sad that it's over, but, you know, it'll be April again before we know it. All right, enough about baseball and the World Series and my sad-ass life. We are going to move on to some college football playoff talk, but before we do that, a quick word from our sponsor. Just kidding, because this is a brand-new podcast, and I have no sponsor. We are going to get into college football playoff. 
So I talked a little bit earlier about some of those uh, upsets in college football. We're going to go through really the the two big ones that will shake up the college football playoff. We're not going to talk about LSU-Bama game because I already did some of that. Plus, that didn't feature any playoff uh, ranked teams. So the two biggest games that obviously will will shake up the, the college football playoff from this week was Georgia versus Tennessee. So the final score was da, 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 27 to 13 in favor of Georgia. This was weird because this was really the first time we all season we've seen University of Tennessee's defense or offense, excuse me, really struggle. This offense has been absolutely explosive, and I think this really speaks volumes about how good Georgia's defense actually is. To put it into into some perspective, Tennessee had scored at least 34 points in every other game, and in this game were held to just 13. Hendon Hooker had only completed 23 of his 33 passes, 195 yards. He had no touchdowns, and he threw for one interception. Um, there was only one other interception that he has thrown in all of the other games that they have played combined. So this was only his second interception of the game. I think if Georgia plays with a defense that's this good, that can stop essentially the best offense in college football, that their offense doesn't have to be great. They don't have to be putting up these high-flying numbers if their defense is going to hold the best offense in the league to 13 points. I... I don't have anything against Georgia. I don't feel great about Georgia. I don't hate Georgia, but I think Georgia is it. After this weekend, I think they are by far the number one team in the country. Then looking at the Clemson and Notre Dame game, Clemson, I defended them in my unofficial first podcast. Um, I... I wanted to like Clemson. I thought that some of their close wins were, were just gritty wins that they continued to prove to be on top of. But I think really what it was is Clemson just kind of showing that they're not really a good team. And Notre Dame really exposed them. And this game was really about a lot of the little things. So the holding penalties and the special teams blunders. That block punt in the beginning was, was killer and really just shifted the momentum to Notre Dame and to their home crowd right off the bat. And there was no offense at all from Clemson whatsoever. There was, I mean, I can't even, I was looking at the the play-by-play and drive-by-drive, whatever the whatever ESPN listed as, and there were so many punts. It was silly for a team that used to have such a high-power, high-powering, explosive offense. They're essentially generating nothing now. And then when their defense doesn't really play that well and gives up 35 points, it's, it's really hard to win games that way. And that's when you have to be excellent, exceptionally good at the little things so that you, you don't, you aren't exposed by your, by your weaknesses. Making the small mistakes is, is never going to make anything easy for a team. That's really not that great. There was no offense. Like I said, from Clemson at all. And then there was two really costly turnovers. So they put in, they pull out DJ, put in the rookie cave club, Nick, he threw he throws an interception, so he throw DJ back in, and DJ throws a pick six. It's like it's really sad times for the quarterback position at Clemson. You were you were used to Trevor Lawrence, who was absolutely outstanding, and then before that, Deshaun Watson, who again a fucking creep now, but was so good that I think this is really like a shock to the system for Dabo, for Clemson, for the Clemson fan base. DJ. If I'm Dabo, and Dabo probably won't ever listen to me, but if I'm Dabo, DJ sits the bench the rest of the year. Cade Klubnik is your guy moving forward. 
He is young. He needs to get reps. You aren't making the playoff this year, right? You'll, you might win the ACC. You'll probably win the ACC, but you're not making the playoff. So you're going to win the ACC and then play in some meaningless bowl game. Get Cade Klubnik out there. Let him get the reps. Let him train so that next year he is your guy. All these missed reps that you sit him for for the rest of the year because you keep DJ in, that's just going to set you that much further back. Penn State just did it with their with their quarterbacks. Sean Clifford was the guy, and so they lost to Ohio State and Michigan and have no chance of winning the Big Ten, have no chance of getting into the playoff. They're going to play in some meaningless bowl games, so they're like, okay, we're going to put Drew Aller in so that our young guy can get the reps because he's going to be the guy next year. These reps are so meaningful. You can't mimic game-time reps during – practice. So Cade Klubnik has got to be the guy from this day forward. Put DJ in for senior day. Let him play a quarter, first quarter of senior day. And then Cade is your guy for the rest of the year. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. Dabo, if you're listening, I have no credibility whatsoever other than I like to watch and read and learn stupid shit. But listen to me on this one. I know I'm right. So then looking ahead tomorrow or tonight, I'm recording Monday, but you'll hear this on Tuesday. Uh, when they release the next, the second round of the college football playoff top four rankings, I think it's going to be completely flipped upside down on its head. So this past week, it was Tennessee one, Ohio State two, Georgia three, Clemson four. Two of those four teams lost and didn't just lose by a little bit. Didn't play a tough, tough fought game like they lost handedly. Ohio State is interesting to me. They had a really hard time with Northwestern. And the week before that, yeah, they beat Ohio or they beat Penn State. The score shows that it was a better game than it actually was. They had a very hard time with Penn State. That wasn't a cakewalk. That wasn't necessarily a game that Ohio State won. It was more so just a Penn State meltdown, traditional Penn State James Franklin meltdown that handed the game to, to Ohio State. I don't think Ohio State is that good. They're ranked second. I don't think that lasts. But either way, for today or tomorrow whatever. For Tuesday's ranking purposes, I think number one will be Georgia. Two will be Michigan. Three will be Ohio State. So weird to have two Big Ten teams in there and only one SEC. That really kind of shakes things up a little bit. And then last, uh, I think TCU sneaks in there. TCU is still undefeated. They're kind of, you know, this team that's floating around five, six, seven that no one's really talked about, but they're still undefeated. I think TCU's in there, and I think if TCU remains unbeaten and wins their conference, like, TCU's in. So this could be interesting. I love rooting for the untraditional teams, the teams they don't really talk about usually, like TCU. So this will be really cool to see how it all pans out. But that's my predictions for the college football playoff rankings. Again, I'm not the expert. They don't listen to me. I just throw my shit out there for people on the internet to hear. But we'll see what actually happens. It's going to be exciting stuff either way. All right, now I'm going to close this out for the day. We are going to end with Fantasy Suds of the Week, episode unofficially two, officially one. Uh, Just to let you know, Fantasy Suds of the Week, I'm just going to go through game by game and give you who I think the fantasy star is going to be. This isn't a stardom sit-em because most of these guys that I'm listing are guys you wouldn't even think about sitting anyway. Um, It's it's just who I think is going to have that breakout performance that's going to rack up that scoreboard for you. So, um Thursday night football this week is a matchup from a rematch from two weeks ago. Falcons, Panthers, divisional rivals. Cordell Patterson is back. I think he's going to be the guy. Uh, Joe Mixon ran up five touchdowns against them last week. I don't see why Patterson would do anything different. So if you got him, he's going to be your guy. Um, Sunday morning in Germany at 930, we have the Seahawks at the Bucks. Uh, the Bucks right now are two and a half point favorites. I think the guy there is going to be Mike Evans. He was really ineffective last night. 
Uh, usually competitors like him with a quarterback like Tom Brady after being ineffective come back, back out firing. Sometimes that's not always the case, though, because I said the same thing about Aaron Rodgers two weeks ago, and he was absolute garbage. But I think Tom Brady's a little bit different. He's got a few more Super Bowls than Aaron Rodgers, just six more Super Bowls than Aaron Rodgers, so I think he might be a better quarterback. But anyway, Tom Brady's not even the guy. Mike Evans is the guy, uh, the fantasy star of that game. Uh, Vikings at Bills. This is a great one. Great matchup. Bills coming off that bad loss. Vikings coming off that win by the skin of their teeth. Bills are actually seven-point favorites. Josh Allen has not been good for two games in a row now. If Josh Allen is is a guy, which I think he is, he'll go off in this game. Vikings defense is okay. Not great. Gave up 17 points to the commanders, I think. And Josh Allen and the Bills are a little bit more of a beast than than those guys are. So Josh Allen, he breaks out. He gets back into, into form again this week. Lions at Bears, uh, minus three is the spread in favor of the Bears. I actually think the Bears are going to dominate this. They have looked so much better on the offensive side of the ball, and the Lions don't really have a good defense. The Lions defense looked okay this past week, but I just think that was more of a reflection of how bad Aaron Rodgers is than really how good the Lions defense is. So Justin Fields has a big day, puts up some more rushing yards, starts getting that air game going a little bit. He He's your fantasy stud there. Broncos at Titans, Titans three-point favorites. I have no idea who to go here. Titans offense is good at best with Derrick Henry having a great day, but the Broncos defense is also excellent. Titans don't really throw the ball, and if an offensive game plan is predictable for a defense like the Broncos, they're just going to be shut down. But there's nobody on the offensive side for the Broncos that I really like, so I just said with a lot of question marks here, Jerry Judy. I have no idea. Hopefully it goes off and I'm right. I don't know. Uh, Moving on. Jaguars at Chiefs. Chiefs are nine and a half point favorites. The guy here is Travis Etienne. Derrick Henry just had a game last night against them. So Travis Etienne, I expect, would do the same. There's nobody else on on the Chiefs offense other than Mahomes and Kelsey that I really like. I think Travis Etienne is it. He's getting all the, he's getting way more touches than any other back. He's kind of their one man backfield right now. Browns at Dolphins. Uh, Dolphins are four-point favorites. Dolphins defense, not great. Never have been great. Gave up 32 points, I believe it was, to the Bears. So Browns don't have a great passing game, so I think Nick Chubb is the guy here. Texans at Giants. Giants six and a half. Saquon's back. Miles Sanders went off against the Texans defense last week. So I think Saquon is going to have just as much success, put up crazy numbers, probably score a few touchdowns. Saints, two-and-a-half-point favorites at the Steelers. I don't know, Chris Olave here. Teams have been running up points against the Steelers. New Orleans isn't great, but Alvin Kamara also hasn't been great. I like the rookie wide receiver here. Colts at Raiders. Raiders are six-point favorites. I like Michael Pittman Jr. here. I don't think the Colts defense is awful, and the Colts, after firing their coach literally as I was recording this today, I think they're going to really shake up their offense a little bit and maybe do things a little bit differently with Ellinger. I honestly think that it wouldn't be a bad idea to put Matt Ryan back in as a starting quarterback because he was clearly doing way better than Ellinger is. I also really am still a firm believer that the Colts are not out of this. And if the Colts want to put themselves in a position to win this division, they start Matt Ryan. Again, I'm not a coach. I don't run the organization. And no one probably gives a flying fuck what I have to say, but that's what I would do. Anyway, I think regardless of if it's Matt Ryan or Sam Ellinger, they switch up the play calling a little bit to get some of these receivers a little bit more involved. It can't be the Jonathan Taylor in the backfield game because Jonathan Taylor can't stay healthy. Michael Pittman becomes that guy that's just open all the time that they feel like they can throw to and he'll catch the ball. 
Cowboys at Packers. Uh, Cowboys five five point favorites here. I like the Dallas defense. Don't traditionally pick a defense to be a fantasy sub, but the Dallas defense is really good, and the Packers defense or the Packers offense is just really fucking bad, as evidenced by their the absolute poop 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 town. Lions defense making them look so silly. The Lions defense statistically was like marginally worse than like the next worst team. So the Packers offense is it's it's just really just that bad. Dallas defense feasts. Micah Parsons, couple sacks. Trayvon Diggs, maybe a pick or two. I don't know that secondary or those receivers are so easy to cover that he could probably do it blindfolded. I hate him, but whatever. Um, Cardinals at Rams. Rams minus three. Cooper Cup's your guy. Cooper Cup. It doesn't matter who they're playing. He plays pretty well. They played the Bucks last week, and he still had however many receptions, however many yards, whatever, whatever. He always runs up the stat sheet. And the Bucks defense actually looked pretty good yesterday. So that Cardinals defense really isn't comparable to the Bucks defense. They're not good. The Cardinals aren't good at all. I talked about. I talked earlier about Kyler Murray and Call of Duty, and this is now Game Three since Cod has been released. Modern Warfare Two. I don't see anything getting any better. If anything, he's getting better at the game. He's so he's spending more time playing it. He's going to suck. It's going to be up to the defense because the offense isn't going to spend a whole lot of time on the field. And Cooper Cup is just going to have himself a Sunday with a cherry on top. Sunday night football. This is a fun one. Chargers at 49ers. Everyone's really high on the 49ers. I mean, I know they have Christian McCaffrey, but they're only four and four. People are saying they're like a top 10 team. I, I don't know. Top five team in the NFC, maybe. I, I don't think they're that great. I think they're so inconsistent. They're all over the place. McCaff- McCaffrey definitely adds something to them that they didn't have before, an excellent running game. So it kind of will keep the defense on their toes a little bit. And they're actually seven-point favorites to beat the Chargers. I know, like, we don't predict the underdogs in this show. We just talk about who the best underdogs of the week were the following week. But, like, if, if I was picking an underdog, I think I'd pick the Chargers. 49ers offense isn't great. They're okay with McCaffrey. The 49ers defense is really good, but there's so many weapons on that Chargers offense that I think was some good play calling and um, using players to their strengths in this game that the Chargers will make it interesting. So that would be my, my dog pick of the week, like dog pre-pick of the week, and then hopefully next week I can talk about how they were the, my, my hungry dog, underdog pick of the week. But we will see. And then Monday Night Football is the Eagles, the undefeated Eagles at the Commanders. My pick here is Jalen Hurts. Jalen Hurts has been playing such smart football it's on. It's unbelievable. He's only has two interceptions up to this point in the season. He did lose a fumble last week, and I, I don't know. I don't think the Commanders are that good. Their, their defense looked okay yesterday. They held the pretty powerful Vikings offense to to fewer points than I would have thought. But I just think Jalen Hurts is has so many weapons, and he's playing just really smart football. And when one strategy isn't working, they're mixing it up and doing something else instead of just repeatedly going to the same plays over and over and over again like they have historically in the past. I like Jalen Hurts in this game. I think he has a big day on his le- using his legs and also through the air as well. So that wraps up my fantasy studs of the week. We'll review those next week too, see which ones hit, see which ones didn't. Hopefully all of them hit. And then whenever you need fantasy advice, you'll just listen to this podcast every week because you know I'm the fucking shit. But we will see. This has been fun. This concludes episode one of One of the Boys. Remember, Saturdays are for the boys, but I'm one of the boys and I'm not talking about my body parts. I love doing this. I love sharing 
all of my opinions and stuff that probably means nothing to you. I hope at least listening to my voice is somewhat entertaining and you tune in next week and you tell all your friends about it. And yeah, follow us on Twitter. Let me pull up my handle real quick. See, this is how new I am to this. I don't even know what the Twitter handle is for the podcast yet. My personal Twitter, like me as a person saying this right now, is Coley Rudd, at Coley Rudd. So if you want to follow me, go for it. I'm like sort of mean to certain people on Twitter if you're dissing on my city, but like whatever, rightfully so, everybody is. All right, here we go. My handle for the podcast is at OOT Boys Pod. So go ahead and follow at OOT Boys Pod. I'll have some good content, maybe, I don't know, coming later this week. Follow me. You won't regret it. And that is all she wrote for today. I'm going to be like Russell Wilson. Let's ride, baby.